Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'm coming to you from the wonderful Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, guys, Sweet Recording kicks ass. I'm telling you, Joe and Matt really do a great job. So if you have a podcast, a video cast, you want to do live stream, or if you even want a studio built in your company or in your house, call them, look them up, email them at hello at Sweet Recording. That's S-U-I-T-E recording.com and ask for Joe Ganjami. He'll take care of you. So anyway, we have a great show today. You know, I got to tell you, I always look for interesting guests and I'm sitting there, I'm looking through Facebook and I went up onto the What's Up Cherry Hill or What's Up Voorhees page, which I always like going on these pages because all these people do is bitch and it makes me <laughs> laugh and they complain. But I saw this gentleman had a book. He was trying to get into Barnes and Noble or one of the bookstores and I believe he self-published it. We're all going to find out about that. But he was really pressing hard and and. I found out he was seven one, and I've never really met someone who's seven foot one. I mean, I've been to basketball games, so I wanted to come in. And he also he started a company called Overseas Famous, and uh, we're gonna hear about his book, his podcast, his company, and my guest is Kevin Owens. How you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I appreciate it. No problem. It's funny what we were talking before. Uh, I know his brother used to come to my networking group, Coffee with Cooper, and when. His brother's seven, over seven foot two, and I was sitting there going, they have to be brothers, but I think your brother's <laughs> Facebook says he's like from Ardmore or something, yeah. or, and, and I was like, wait a second, there, it's too much of a coincidence that there's two guys with the last name Owens who are yeah. seven foot. And he, I don't know, he likes to disassociate himself from South Jersey, so uh, he puts Ardmore, because that's where he lives now, as all his things, but he's he's from this area. He's from, you know, the same as me, so... Yeah, don't let him fool you. <laughs> I, I got to ask you, because as I said, you know, I, I meet, met in some tall people, but when did you start getting tall? Mm. Like, were you, were you, because someone was saying like, like kids, you know, some kids sprout between seventh and eighth, but now I heard you sprout, like the difference is being like a senior in college and then being someone two years past college, uh -huh. you sprout then. When did you start growing because it's not like you're six two or six three i mean you're seven one yeah it's crazy so i ended up i guess my sophomore year i started my sophomore year i was about six one six two uh in high school which is tall but you know for a basketball player it's not the the tallest and then i sprouted from six two to about six ten within uh nine months so I was really stretched out. I didn't really know what I was doing. My junior year was kind of a mess because I was trying to figure out my new body. But I had a lot of the skills that I kind of learned when I was smaller, and I took them with me. And then when I got to like that seven feet height, it was it was much easier. And once I grew into my body, I'm always a, I'm a late bloomer. I think my brother was a late bloomer. So it's funny because as I played college basketball, I went to a smaller Division One school. But as I started playing college basketball. I had a lot of interest from higher level schools because I developed so late and really started getting good, uh, which has helped me out when I ended up uh, going pro. So now, do people? I mean, did they automatically expect like, you know, okay, you know, this guy's having to play in basketball? Like when you do that sprout, all of a sudden your coach is probably like, oh my god, like you go from six one, you know, you're probably a small forward or yeah. a forward to. 6'10", now you're towering. I mean, I went to Cherry Hill East. You know, I mean, besides one kid was 6'10". We, we never had one of them that tall. Yeah. So what was what was your was your coach just like salivating or did he want to really want to work with you? Because as you said, you really have to develop because it's a whole different game now. Like yeah. you're the center. You're Everyone's looking at you. I mean, so what did, how did he work with you? Uh, it was, I had the best coach. Uh, I went to Camden Catholic. So uh, Jim Crawford was the coach there. He was my mentor. He helped me develop so much. 
uh, he just was patient with me. He took the time. He didn't push anything too soon. He taught me where I needed to go and what would make me successful in his offense. And once I kind of figured that out and worked on some of those seals, then he started adding. He didn't throw everything at me at one time. And that was huge because a lot of coaches will be like, oh, do this, do this, do this. He was like, this is what you'll do to be successful. Once you're here, now we'll add this. And then once you're here, it was a very stage-oriented process. And I think it was it helped me tremendously because I wasn't thrown into everything too soon. And my junior year, I didn't start. It's the craziest story. I am played pro basketball. I didn't start until my senior year in high school. Uh, my junior year, I was kind of learning. My senior year, I was like nominated to the McDonald's All-American. So I really, it was such a gradual process. But... It's, you don't see that very often. If you're not the best player as a freshman, people are like, you're done. And I kind of showed that, you know, I didn't start until my senior year and here I am. So now, now when you're that, when you're that tall and then you're getting really good, are you a target on the floor? Like, or people sit there and just, you know, that elbow, that oh, thing. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine it's like, oh, you know, f- fuck this guy. Yeah. You know, you're, who's he? I'm, I'm Davey. He's Goliath. Exactly. You know, what was, I mean, did you, did you get, did you get beaten up a lot on the court? I was 195 pounds when I was 6'10", so I was the skinniest kid in the world, so I was getting even more, uh, But be, and because I was so tall, they were like, okay, hit him low, you know, push him, shove him, get him off his game, and he won't be as effective, but that was, I, I feel like I get it anywhere. Like, it's just, it's it was when I was growing awkwardly, I think that was the toughest part. It was not only on the court, but off the court, you're just getting, like, grown-ups coming up and being like, how tall are you? Wow, holy shit. And I'm like a 16-year-old kid who's so unconfident. Like, uh, you're just not used to those different interactions when you're that young and you kind of are thrown into this world of just like, wow, I'm an adult now. And I was really only like 16, 15, 16 years old. I guess 15, yeah, because I was I was young for my age, so, for so my how, grade. How do, you, how do you adjust to that mentally? I mean, it's gotta be hard. I mean, you gotta sit there and go home. There's probably some nights... You know, because we're all insecure. I mean, I, I was a comedian for years, you know, first sign of insecurity. <laughs> um, but for you, you know, because you know people are looking at you. And you said you're uh-huh. only 15. And it wasn't like you were big all through your life. Yeah. You all of a sudden shut up. So how do you mentally, how did you mentally prepare? I mean, were your parents involved with it? Did you, did you talk to someone professionally? Or how did you deal with it? I think my, it was, it was my parents. My dad, uh, I have a tattoo on my arm with an ax. And it says, I hope you dance. Because my dad would be like, you have to push through. You have to be tougher. Like they're going to come after you with everything they have. You have to push through. You have to get tough. Uh, my mom was like, you know, take that chance. Always, always do the things that you're not comfortable doing. Take that chance. Go that extra mile. And those two kind of advices combined really helped create that mentality where I was like, okay, I'm not going to be scared to do this. I'm not going to be scared of this guy. He could, I think too, like you get hit, punched in the face, not like, no, no one was punching me in the face in high school, but like, you know, elbowed in the face. And then when you start getting college and people are punching you and hitting you and, you know, throwing cheap shots, you're like, okay, that didn't hurt that bad. And I think that was the first time I think I remember cutting my eye and I was bleeding down my face. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's what you kind of are scared of your whole life. Like, I just got hit by a 200 and something pound seven foot guy as hard as he could. And I'm like, that's all it is. Like, and you just kind of realize like pain doesn't really isn't a thing and it doesn't drive you and I wasn't scared anymore and it's kind of like home alone when he's just running around like I'm not scared anymore 
that was kind of my aha moment where I was like, all right, I don't need to fear these people. I can go and compete and do whatever, and I'm not worried about getting hurt or someone hurting my feelings. I'm just going to go through it and say, screw it. Now, you said you were an Amer- all, McDonald's All-American? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what- Nominated. 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 <laughs> so, but, so what made you decide on Monmouth? Because there's, there, and it's a beautiful, I mean, first of all, yeah. you know, the location is wonderful, and yeah. it is a great school. Yeah. And, but, I mean, what made you sit there and say, I mean, who else was, were people courting you? Were the big, big schools courting you? So, I didn't start a game, and I was getting recruited by a lot of, like, lower-level D1 schools. Um, I got, was recruited by USC- uh, they were the first team to recruit me in California, and I, they they saw the potential in me. I did really well at this tournament in the summer between my junior and senior year. So all these teams started courting me. My brother had gone through this experience two years earlier, and the biggest advice was like, if you get hurt, you know, everything could disappear. So I know we were kind of hoping for a scholarship for me because my brother went to Penn, and he, you know, it still costs money to go there, even though you're a basketball player. So that was tough for me. I was kind of like, all right, I have to get a scholarship. So I went through, pushed, did everything I could. And these were the schools who were looking at me then. I think back a lot of times to if I just waited until after my senior year, like what the I could, would have been recruited because that's what a lot of people have told me. Like I was starting to get interest from like Notre Dame and things like that about like possibly, but there wasn't as much shadiness of like, hey, decommit, because there wasn't as much interaction with you. Now, social media, everything, guys, coaches are texting kids. They were just calling my phone. So I think it was a lot of people were interested, and I had higher level interest after that, but it was, I was happy I went to Monmouth. I, you know, I wanted to start for four years, ended up doing that, wanted to score a thousand points, ended up doing that. So I was happy with the choice. But you think back when I became a pro, I didn't have that big name attached to my you know, big college name attached to me. So that was a little difficult and I had to push through that. So Now, when you went to Monmouth, was it, were you saying in your mind, I'm going to go pro? Like you think, you know, some people will get a major, like, you know, like they used to say, if you went to Louisville back in the day, you majored in basketball because that's why you went to Louisville. Yes. Like the kids from Milt Wagner from Camden High and yep. Kevin Walls, Michael Thompson, they all went to Louisville to play and to become pro. Yeah. If they didn't go become pro, they were screwed. Yes. But for you, what was your goal going into college? Was it saying, well, you said you want to get a thousand points. You want to start for four years. Mm-hmm. But did you sit there and go, I, I can go pro or were you concentrating on whatever your major was? I was concentrating on what I was doing at the time. And honestly, I was, it's funny because I was so awkward in high school. <laughs> like I was popular, but not really, like I wasn't the guy who was getting all the girls. And then college came and I started kind of filling into my body and like, you know, having that that aspect of my life where people were like, wow, okay, maybe I'll date him. And I was like, in, I was enjoying being that, what I guess would, would be high school for most people. I was enjoying that in college. So while my focus was basketball 100% and then my academics, that was also a big focus of like my social life was taking off and I honestly enjoyed it. So I wasn't thinking about pro. I was thinking about how can I be most successful as a college basketball player and can I date this hockey like that was my entire life so that was my uh, my drive at the time and it wasn't until the end of my senior year where all of a sudden you know that's where it started people started contacting me my agent like agents are contacting me and being like hey you know you could have a, a future in this and that's when I was like all right let me let me see what's out there and I really I took like a few weeks off after my senior year 
uh, after we got eliminated from our tournament. And then I was like, went to Florida, was like hanging out, partying. And I kind of was like, all right, let's try to get back to this. And I had to refocus a little bit and really go to push myself to get to that next level. Because honestly, I was I was enjoying life. I was enjoying college. And it wasn't until that realization that, you know, you could play pro came that I actually started thinking. Now, when you're in college, and yeah. this is just something that came to my mind. <laughs> If you live in the dorms, do they have to give you a bigger bed? I mean, how did that yeah, work? Because no. I, you know, I went, I went to Stockton, and, and we had a, we had a Stockton reunion, yeah, uh, and we all stayed down. Me and my, my wife went to Stockton too, and we went down a few. It was in uh, the summer, and we saw like we slept on the beds, yeah, you know. But then they put one of them bunk beds. So they had an, you know. A th- three in one room and the beds are tiny yeah. but like for you did they sit there and go well he's he's you know he's our basketball player he's a, one of our starters you know give him because I mean how would you how would you fit in it I don't uh, there's times when I go back and I'm like how the how did my life exist before all of this big shit that I'm used to because I just went I don't understand how I went through college because I used to go to college and like sleep in the same bed and my girlfriend would sleep in the same bed and then my dog would sleep in that bed and when you look back at these beds, they're like single little beds. And I'm like, how did everyone fit? I must have had the worst REM sleep of the of my entire life at that time. Because I was like 15 people were laying in my bed and the bed was so tiny. And I just think about those times, even growing up, like the, the little things, the house that I grew up in was not big. And when I go back there for holidays and stuff, I'm just like, I can't believe I functioned in this house. Like, it's crazy because I was my size. I was not as big as I am, but I was my size. I'm like, I don't understand how I lived this life. Now, we'll get into your basketball, but I want to get into the book. Yeah. You know, what? Okay, so you you talk about it in the book and, uh, you know, people, you can buy his book. Uh Online, I'm yeah, sure. yeah. And uh, tell me, tell me what made you decide to write a book? Because it's such, it's your life, and there's so many jerks out there. People yeah. always look to take a pot shot. And when you when you share your life, I interview a lot of musicians who share their life story, yeah. and you know they have to deal with a lot of stuff. You know, like even people I interview know someone. Oh, you know, I quit doing drugs because I did too much coke. The guy drummer <laughs> from Bad Company. I did too much coke and I was my girlfriend found me foaming in the mouth on a tour bus. Jeez. But they write that stuff yeah. and, and you open up. And for you, you're writing about being, you know, it's overseas famous, which now you, you do the company too. Mm-hmm. But tell me about why you decided to write the book and just tell me a little more about the book. Of course. So when I started this process, honestly, I, had re- I was still playing and I got uh, it's crazy because uh, I was just telling someone the story. It was weird because Grant Wall, the reporter from uh, the soccer reporter who just passed away in Qatar, uh, I was writing blogs when I was pl- still playing. I was still playing professionally. I was writing blogs. My friend had this site called Hugging Harold Reynolds. He started picking up my stuff. And I wrote the story about how when I tried out for the Sixers. And I put that out there. And Grant Wall was the first person who put it up on ESPN, and it was like a, a huge thing, and all these other publications started picking it up. And from there, I got brought in to write for Slam Magazine. I got brought in to write for SB Nation. So I was writing these things, and they were like, what do you want to write about? I was like, I don't know. They are like, do a blog about you playing overseas and all the weird stuff that happens. I was like, all right. So I started doing that, and all of those blogs became – part of the book because I was just every week I'd be like all right what am I going to write about this time oh this there's a story where I you know got lost in Kosovo and that would be funny and I started writing that and then there's a story about this and all those stories individually became the book and 
I'm a lightning rod for every crazy thing that could happen overseas has happened to me. I, I went through, got hurt, and they released me. I wasn't paid on time, and like they just and you know, there's things where you weren't aren't being paid. Uh, just I've had great experiences, have I had crazy experiences. So my life was a lightning rod of every weird thing that could happen overseas has happened to me. So that my brother was like, take these stories and put them into something. So I started doing it and all of a sudden everything just started coming together and I took these stories that I wrote for Slam and I was like, all right, let me add to them and make this like a whole story and then what happened. At, and so I just took that and expanded it and soon, sooner I had like 14 chapters. I'm like, okay, and brought it to an editor. And I think it was just the toughest thing, like you said, was was when I put all that out there, I talked about me being depressed. I talked about just all the awkward things of my childhood. Like when you see me, most people didn't know that I was like people. I feel like I'm pretty confident in myself now. And when I walk around, people didn't know that I was like the struggling, awkward kid who was just trying to touch someone's boobs. Like that's my course. <laughs> like that was my whole entire life. And then I'm like, people look at me now and they're like, oh, you, I didn't realize like, you know, what you went through or your struggles or just even that you were so like weird and awkward. Like I always said, uh, like the line from American Pie, I'm like, I am a band geek. I just never joined the band. I was a good basketball player, but I'm a dorky dude. And I like that aspect of me. And I think that's a lot of the things in the book became that of me just sharing my real self and not, you know, hiding who I was and. I thought it was very liberating. I thought it was great. And, you know, I was it was fun. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of good reactions from it. people just being like, I never knew this happened to you. And that was so cool. So that was really enlightening. Now, had you written before you started doing this? Were you like someone who wrote, you know, in college they wrote or, or you know, or it was that anything in your mind? You know, did you take a writing class mm -hmm. or did you just sit there and say out of boredom, you said, well, I'm going to write this. But, or did you actually have an idea of how to write? Because a lot of people, you know, I always think, you know, I've written some stuff and I always think the best kind of writing is, you know, I'm the king of the run on sentence. I yeah. can do a, a oh, whole yeah. page, you know, and, you know, you look at it, you know, like Bukowski wrote, like, like he didn't give a shit. He didn't give a shit. Bukowski <laughs> would just do speed, get drunk and go on the typewriter. And it was all run on. And to me, that's, that's a lot more honest. And that's what I want to read. I don't want to read like someone... You know, what is it, soliloquies or all yeah, this? And yeah. like, oh, and then it was a beautiful morning, like yeah. the sun. You know, so were you were you writing before you started writing these blogs? Had you had an I like when you went into doing them? Did yeah. you know what you were doing? Uh, yes and no. So I I wrote when I was in college. I wrote for the school paper and did some writing and stuff. But when I look back on it, I sucked. I was not good. It was I, they probably let me do it because I was good at basketball, and they're like, all right, let this idiot write for the paper, just write this stupid story. So I wasn't very good. Um, I think the blog was exactly what you described when I first started writing it. I was like, I'm just going to be myself. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to talk about what my likes and dislikes. Oh, look, the Phillies just did this. Like It just became my just life just babbling out and then telling stories about playing. And then as I started going, I just guess I started figuring out like my voice. And you know, my voice was more comedic. So I was like, all right, I'm going to write just in the funny, funny way, like everything I write, even if it's the craziest thing that ever happened to me, I want to make people laugh when I do it. So that was really when I found my voice and taking that into the book and taking that to my editor. That was really what really set it off. Now, you mentioned, you know, when you got hurt and you got released. Yeah. Like now, <laughs> do they just like 
say, all right, and then you're just stuck? I mean, where were you when that happened? I was in South Korea. And so you're in South Korea, you know, you might, God, you must have been a monster over there. Cause you're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're hurt. Do they just call you and say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, we don't, we don't, we don't need your services or what happens? Um, so we, I got hurt. Um, I pl- practiced, was practicing, set a screen. The guy ran off my screen and like my knees knocked together and it like ripped, tore a bunch of cartilage in my knee, tore up my MCL. I ended up, um, like limping through. And over there, there was no excuses. So I just kept playing practice. I'm like, whatever. Went to the trainer. The trainers were completely incapable of being trainers. I have no idea. They're like looking at my wrong knee. They're twerking. Then I tell them it's the other knee. They're doing it all wrong. I'm like, this is terrible. So I ended up um, sitting in my apartment and I was like, I played in a game because my agent was like, you need to play. I was like, all right. So I played in the game and was awful. Like I couldn't move. I think I was like had like eight points. So they brought me in after the game and they're like, we're releasing you. And I told them I was hurt, but they had said you have to play in the game. So I was like, okay. So then they're like, we're releasing you. I was like, almost in my mind, I was like, all right, thank God. Like now I can get, cause I was, you get paid the full contract once you're, you know, you're hurt. I was like, this is, I'm, I'm hurt. Like I can't play. So they released me. I'm like, sweet. Okay. I guess I'm going to get my money, go home rehab and then go somewhere else. And then they're like, I was like, okay, when's like the check? What's happening? And they're like, no, we're just releasing you. We're not paying you. I was like, what the hell? I was like, this is not the contract. So I had to fight with them. It became a whole thing. Um, They told me, my coach called me and was yelling at me. And then my translator was translating and saying, uh, you have to play. Or if like, if you don't come to practice, you're going to be, have to run for 24 hours straight. They were like, you're going to be on the line just running for 24 hours straight. And I was like, uh, no, I can't do that. I'm hurt. And it just became this whole thing. They sent me home. They promised to pay me. Then they sent me home and never paid me, never answered the calls. And I tried to go through the Korean justice system. They were just like, you're not going to win this. It's Korean law. Like you're against your law. Your law. It's them. their word against yours. They're like, done. Never, never got it. Now, how many years did you play in, in Europe? Or uh, not, I mean, internationally. Total, like, uh, I was in the G League for, like, three. So, I guess it was, like, eight, nine years, I guess, because I started the one year. So, I guess, like, yeah, nine years I was playing. And I uh, was in the G League for three years. And then I was back and forth. I went to Poland for a little bit. So, I was, pl- I was playing for a long time, which did take a wear on my body. But that South Korea was in, I think that was, like, my first. Fifth or sixth year when that happened. How do you find out? Like it's like it's not like a Craigslist. Like hey, no. yeah, we're looking for we're looking for this guy, yeah. and we're, that's probably why you started your company. But yeah. how how do you find out? Like like my friend I grew up with, my childhood friend, for about like six months, he played for the team that lost to the Globetrotters. Okay, but he played in like Argentina, and he yeah. said you go, they play outside, and the place would be packed. Uh huh. And he said, you know, and people are sorry if you think the Globetrotters games aren't fixed. They each get, uh, I think they basically the Globetrotters get twenty points a half uh-huh. that they give them, and then they run. But he found that, I guess, from an agent. But how do you find out? Because you said you played in Poland. Where, where's all the places you played? Uh, I was in, I was in the G League. Then I was in Poland. Then I was back to the G League. Then I was in Australia. Then I was in uh, South Korea. Then I was in New Zealand. Then I was in. Kosovo. Then I was in Estonia. That was where it kind of. So how did you find out about these gigs? Uh, my I got an agent. So it was weird because my brother kind of got me into that. So my brother's agent became my agent, and it was kind of a 
Let me see if he has what it takes. So when I went to the G League, ended up making it, uh, and it, you know went to an exposure camp and made it, and then uh, made the G League team, and that's what kind of propelled it. Like I was a no shot that I was making this team, and then I pushed through and like worked hard, made it. It was a big underdog story. I talked about it in the book, but like the my agent would call me and be like, once you were over into that overseas route, like once I knew I wasn't going to the G League back again. I would come like August, and my agent called me in July. That was the Australia gig. He called me in July. He's like, hey, do you want to go to Australia? I'm like, yeah, uh, that sounds great. He's like, it's great money. It's a great place. Uh, You leave in like three days. And I was like, oh, I had an apartment at the time. I was like, okay, so I had to get rid of, you know, figure out the apartment, uh, pack everything, fly halfway around the world and that's just what it was my agent would call me there was one time when a team in sweden was like hey uh we need him in 24 hours so i was sitting at home and i was like watching tv i just got done working out it was yeah like august and he's like hey you know you need to leave in 24 hours i was like okay and then i went to the like got the everything went to the airport and was like looking for my ticket no ticket. The team was just like, oh, shoot, like we couldn't end up making it happen. I was like, this is crazy. So you're at the mercy of the teams, but I'm just going. Like, so anytime the agent called, I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's let's do it. But that was what it was. You got maybe a few a few days notice and then you were packing up and leaving for 10 months and going to a different country and no idea anything, that language, nothing. It was just a unique experience. Was it enjoyable, though? Were you still oh, yeah. enjoy- I mean, were you enjoying playing the game still? Or I mean, because I would think – the uncertainty would tax on you mentally because yeah. it's like anything. It's like actors when they have a TV show and then they don't book anything for like a year and a yep. half and they go, oh my God, is this ever going to happen? Like for you though, I mean, how were you adjusted to living that lifestyle? Because it, it sounds really scary because once again, you're going, well, wait, okay, I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to go here. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know no. for how long, but you know you love playing basketball. And yeah. you want to do it. So, but what? how are you mentally adjusting to this? I mean, how do you get your shit around that? <laughs> it was probably the roughest thing was the mentality because I just wasn't, you're just not used to that. And there's nothing you can, that they can tell you that will prepare you for just disappearing off the, you know, off the grid for that long a time and going somewhere you've never been before and learning a new language you've never known and, talking to coaches and teammates you've never knew before uh it it was it was rough in the beginning it got rough after you kind of go through it a few times you're just like all right screw it like let's let's go wherever it is i'll adjust i'll figure it out and i think that was the biggest thing is just i always learn to adjust and the crazy thing is that grind because there's no there's no two-year three-year contracts overseas it's always year to year and that's what I was, you know, when you talk about like everything, they look at you as a short term investment. You're not a long term investment. So they're going to beat the shit out of you. They're going to run you. They're going to do everything they can to get what they need out of you for that one year. And then you're someone else's business. It doesn't matter how good you did. You're someone else's business. And that is overseas basketball. You're just kind of at the whim of the team. And uh, you learn to kind of just grind. And that's my life. I just started grinding. And every year I was like, you got to work harder. You got to get better. And then you go to a new situation. You got to adjust. You got to figure it out. It's just there's no other option. You just have to adjust or you're done. And I feel like that has taken me into my post-career life where I'm just like I'm still grinding. And I'm like, when am I – 
people tell me they're like when are you going to stop i'm like i don't think i know how to like i just i don't know how to yeah it's in your blood i mean it's like i talk to performers you know when i did comedy then i got out uh, but even now all because you do a show but i know these people they just they grind it out man you know and, yeah. and i know these guys are you know they're 65 they're doing cruise ships they're doing you know and that's uh-huh. that's something you're out in the seas you know you're you don't see your family and it's just i think it's in the blood and you you know you're a grinder when did you know you're grinding as a pro player was done was there a sure sign yeah. like did you just sit there and go i just can't do it anymore or did just did, was not interest but when did you know your career was over i was in estonia i was not the player i once was like my knee the knee that got messed up in south korea it never i'd torn so much cartilage that from that point on like i i it would like ripped apart like like 80 percent of my cartilage during that injury so since then it just slowly the the pain increased and every year it got worse so when i was in estonia i was playing on pretty much like one knee and I couldn't really do much. I couldn't, you know, move as well. And it was hurting every day. I was taking like eight eight Advil before every practice, before every game. And I'm like, dude, this is just not what I want to do. And it just, I realized I was like, A, yes, I need consistency in my life because I was tired of the all over the place. My life was just a rudder to, rudderless ship. But it was more, I just couldn't, I wasn't playing the way I knew I could play. And my body was letting me down. I was like, all right, this is my last game. So when I stepped into Estonia, we played in the uh, in the championship. It was, I guess, like the the whatever the what's the not championship like the consolation consolation game. We played in that and won that game. And I knew that was it because I knew that was my last game. Took off my jersey and was like, all right, I'm done. So then, okay, so you're done. How, yeah. old, how old were you? I was 31. Okay, so you've, you've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. You know, and it's not like other jobs you have 10 years, you have a pension. It's not like in the NBA or at Screen Actors Guild or M- where you have a pension. Yeah. So you're 31, which, you know, everyone does career changes. I mean, you know, you just had a very different career to start. You know, you yeah. don't find a lot of people. So then what do you sit there and say you're going to do? Because, and how did you adjust? Because the bottom line is, even if you're were playing bad, like not up to the level that yeah. you're used to, you're still getting that adoration. You're getting the crowd. You're hearing the crowd cheer. You know, you, you get a job as an yeah. accountant. You're not walking into work. No, you're like, oh yeah, Kevin, <laughs> man, great, great debit and credits and debits. What? So what did you? What was your plan? Where? And I want to know where you were mentally because you're stepping away from something that, in all honesty, is a lot of people don't experience it and they never will. I mean, yeah. you're a selected few. And uh-huh. you know, even the G League, you know, you weren't in the NBA, but you're someone who made a living doing what they love. So how did you prepare when it's, you got out? It's crazy because that's where Overseas Famous came from because I left Estonia. And like I said, I took my jersey off. I actually, a fan ran over. I was like, can I have your jersey? I took it off. I signed it. I gave it to him. The crowd's cheering. You know, I'm like hugging fans. They're like, this is great, blah, blah, blah. I go back and, you know, three days later, I'm walking through Philadelphia airport and someone was like, do you play for the Sixers? And I'm like, oh, shit, no one knows who I am here. Like, I'm only famous over there, like not a person. Where are you famous over there? Like, but like where you went Did people like, oh, yeah. did you get free drinks and all that good yeah, shit? I could. Yeah. Like where I was at, people would be like, oh, especially in Australia, because it's very similar to the NBA, like big time crowds. And you would go out in public and everyone spoke English. So they would just be like, Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens. And it was cool. So you had that celebrity there. But then when you come back, there's none. And I remember being like, wow, that's crazy. And I always said, like, athletes go three different routes. And they go, 
either with, you know, what they know, which is pretty much what their parents did, uh, or like that's like what they know, like their whatever job their parents did or whatever job of friends did, that's where they go. Or they go with, you know, their sport. So they'll go with basketball or I'll be like coaching or training or scouting or something. They try to get into that field. And then the, some select guys go into entrepreneurship. They're like, I have an idea. I'm going to run with it. But those three three avenues are pretty limited. Like, there's a lot more out there. And that's when I started, like, my business because I struggled. I mean, those first, you know, those those 10, these 10 years, I mean, pretty much like the past, like, six or six years, I really didn't have an identity. And that's what I struggled with mentally because I had no identity. I was no, I was a basketball player in my mind. And now I'm just home and I don't really know what I'm going to do. I started coaching. I started teaching because that's what my parents did. And I wanted to coach. And I was like, I just didn't have an identity. I was like, is this really what you want to do? Or are you just doing it because you knew people in this field? And that was my biggest reason when those six years trying to figure out mentally, like who I was, like what, you know, what are you what are you going to be now? And it ruined my marriage. It like it it was a very difficult situation. And once I kind of started realizing like who I was and looking deep and be like, okay, you're not a basketball player anymore. Suck it up. What who are you? Like, what do you want to be? What is your attitude? Like I I never I was scared to get tattoos. I and I learned in so much in New Zealand, so now I have tattoos. I was like, I want to be myself. Like, I want to be me. I'm not going to be this other person who's just trying to be, you know, something else. And I just really had to find my identity. And it took some time, and it ruined a lot of stuff, but I'm, I'm glad it, I did. So when did you decide to come up with Overseas, your, your, uh, your, um, your, the website, the company? Yeah. And explain to me more what it encompasses. So Overseas Famous, uh, we are a post-career site uh, or post-career consulting business uh, firm where we will help overseas athletes once they finish their career transition into a life that's not going to be like a struggle. Like I I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't have anyone helping me. Once my agent, and I love my agent, he was a great guy, but once you're done, there, especially overseas, like there's no program, there's nothing for you. I would be like, do you have any contacts or anything? He's like, yeah, you know, call this person. And I call and they'd be like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, and it was, I was just had no idea and didn't have any contacts. Now, when I was in college, you know, you're offered all these things and they're like, here's your network. We have all these people who will get you a job after college. But then I played pro for like nine, 10 years. So I'm gone and I lose that network. And now I have no network. Um, My network is all overseas people and they're not going to help me when I'm home. So I didn't have a network, and what we do is we build, help grow your network. We help build it. We try to preferably do it before you retire. Um, we offer you know internships. We find you internships. We continuing education, uh, mental health, <clears throat> um, the resume building. So we have this whole entire system around where athletes can come in, come to us, and be like, okay, what you know? I don't know what I need to do, and be like, okay, come to us. We'll help you figure it out so you're not missing a huge chunk, so you're not going through pretty much what I went through because that was a struggle. And I don't want people's relationships to fall apart because, and I don't want them to lose their identity. I also don't want them to lose money. And that was a big thing too. Like I went from making good money to being a substitute teacher. I bought a house and now I'm like, what am I doing with my life? That was like a big, what are you doing? Like you're, you're, you're not making any money right now and you're, struggling and like 
you you were on top of the world now you're like all my friends who had jobs consistently through their you know when i was playing now are higher up in their jobs and making good money and i'm coming home and like going back to the bottom and like trying to work my way up it's a real it's a it's a shot to the it's a shot. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and, and what's funny, you mentioned about the network, and, and it's so true that you need a network. Like for me, as I said, when I was 30, I left. Uh-huh. I left I left, I left, well, I left. Cherry Hill, and I lived outside New York when I was doing comedy. Then I ended up on the West Coast. Uh-huh. So when I decided to come back five years ago, people I went to high school with the East were already doctors and lawyers. You know, yeah. I'm not going to come to them. And then I started working for a friend's company. I did business development. And I had to build a network. And luckily... For me, even though I don't do, I, was, I would go to these events, but I don't do comedy as much, but I did a benefit and there was a bunch of people from my network there. So then they said, oh, he also does comedy. Then they find out about my podcast. So, you know, you interviewed this celebrity. So then it helped me build my network. Yep. So now you're something different. You're not a celebrity, but when they see you with the picture of you and Ed Asner or, you know, I'm friends with Patrick Fabian from Better Call Saul, uh-huh. when they see that, they go, oh, wow. You know, and, and so I built that. Now for the networking part though, because it's good you do that because I started a networking group and I put over 200 people during the yep. pandemic and I still build my networking group and I still build it. And it's just important because you do need a network because when you're sitting there, especially during the pandemic, you know, we were all vulnerable. We were all yeah. shitting ourselves. We were going, what the, you know, what, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm stuck in my house. I mean, I, I just got married. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like, God, I can't even get in an argument and get, get a drink because <laughs> all the bars are closed. Yep. But it's good. So now, now are you how are you getting a lot of success from this? Are people really finding you? And how do how do the athletes find about you? And is it just athletes or is it also someone who does like acting overseas? You know, because they may come back. Or yeah. What's your what's your base of who are you pulling from? We we started with basketball because I had people I knew in basketball. And I think that's why I started the podcast because I was like, okay, let's reach out to and try to get as many overseas athletes on so they know who we are. They know what we do. And now we get, you know, got hooked up with a sponsor and now we're kind of like growing. But it, I think like social media was a big one um, because all of these athletes use social media now and they use it, you know, most of them pretty well. So I was like, all right, how can I get this person? You know, how can I talk to this person? So I follow. And then I started sharing stuff on our site. And then overseas athletes started following what we're doing. And then they're like, we started getting, you know, DMs being like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm thinking of retiring in a few years. Is there something? So we were like, okay. So we got like 10 guys and female and, and male. Uh, and we went with basketball and they just started, we just started helping them out for free. We're like, let's just see how this works. And we just did all this stuff. For, so for the past like two years, we've been helping a lot of these athletes out, this like beta group for free. And then once we realized like everything that we did was so successful, then we started being like, okay, now we're, so we're, we're launching, uh, you know, big time in the spring. Um, but we have, you know, we're not just getting basketball, we're getting tennis we're getting beach volleyball we're getting volleyball we're getting you know water polo so we have all these athletes who primarily go overseas for their you know they're in america they're overseas and we're trying to get them because there's no players union or anything the nba guys they're good they are set because they have a players union they have all this stuff the none of these athletes do so we're trying to fill that void and get them something so that they're not struggling over or post-career tell me about your podcast the podcast is fine. It's overseas famous. It's me interviewing overseas athletes. It's really just trying to be a voice. Like, hey, what goes on over there? Here's the crazy stories that happen. How did you get into this? I'm, I'm interviewed a gymnast, 
And uh, she's like, I'm like, I don't even understand you. Like, I don't understand how you, you've been doing this since two years old. Like, how did you, how do you get into a professional athlete? And I think that's like a cool concept because you're like, no one really knows. Suddenly, all of a sudden, like at one time, LeBron sucked at basketball. Like he sucked. He couldn't make a shot. He couldn't dribble. He would dribble. Like there was a time when he sucked. And I love that thought process that like one time this guy was the worst ever. Maybe he was very young. He was a baby, but it seemed he was not good. And then now look at him. Like it's just it's just I love that seeing how they how they grow. And it's it's just that's what we are. And we show share the voice and share the stories of overseas so people can be like, wow, because Kevin Durant went to uh, where'd he go? He was in Greece uh, to see Mike James, his buddy from the Brooklyn Nets play and he was like videoing and the, there's flares going off and he's like what the fuck? like he's like looking around like what is this overseas athletes all looked at that like yeah that was just a game that's just what it's like over there give me one of the stories from your book i know i'm not going to go into the book yeah. but just give me a story because i mean you have a lot of stories i mean yeah. how many pages is the book the yeah it's like 216 yeah. so give, give me a good story because i always like i mean as i said you don't like to give it's always hard to interview someone yeah. when they have a book because they always go what's in the book yeah it's in the book why well, <laughs> give me just give me a, a good story from in the book so i'll start with how the book starts because this is what i tell people because when i they're like hey my uh my eighth grader wanted to read your book. I'm like, don't let them. Because my book starts, I went to an exposure camp in Virginia. And uh, I it was my first experience playing professionally. I never, I was in the summer after my senior year. I wasn't good enough to get into an NBA, all these NBA camps. So I went to this overseas camp. Um, and there's a lot of scouts and stuff. And there's G League scouts there. And uh, played, you know, really well. But the first night, I, I was like such a dork that I stayed in the gym the whole day. I was like, I'm, I want to like be here. I don't want to. I like when I wasn't playing a game, I was staying in or shooting on the side or doing something. It was this huge gym with like 15 courts, and um, you know, didn't leave. I was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I didn't have any money. I was poor. I was like just eating shit because I couldn't go anywhere, and didn't go back to the hotel at all. Tried to check in before the thing started. They wouldn't let me yet come back at like 10 o'clock at night and they give me the key. I opened the door and I heard music and opened it and it was like a straight on orgy going on. So I walked in and the dude who was in that room must have thought that he had a room to himself because you got paired up with someone. He must have thought we had the room to he had the room to himself. So when I came in at 10 o'clock at night, I open it up. There's a straight <laughs> orgy going on. There's like dudes, girls, there's music, there's lights. I'm like, and I'm such a dork too. So <laughs> I walked in, I dropped my bag, had to walk out of the room, then realized I didn't have my bag, had to go back into the or it was the most awkward moment of my life, but it was really funny. So that was like the how the book opened me walking into an orgy uh, when I was like, and then I had to sleep in my tr the bed of my truck that night. It was like 90 something degrees. Were you were you happy? With the, what the editor did with your stories, because did you look at it and you go, okay? Because you know it's like anything. You yeah. argue, you know, like if you'd I've written a screen, I optioned a screenplay years ago, and I had to deal with the producer, and I'm like, how do you not get that joke? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you not get that? And then you get pissed off, and you're like, your your suit. Yeah. What do you know? But for you, when you were pitching, did anything you want to go in? They said, nah, we can't put that in. And is it hard to deal with that when you go, no, man, this is this is a nugget. And yeah. Like, ah, no, no, no one won't like it. There was like a few jokes that I I that I don't think they understood, but then I you know read them, 
to myself and then I read them to like people I know and they're like that's freaking hilarious I was and they there was a few that they I don't think they just got the reference and they were like you can't you can't have this in I was like okay and then like they read the book a lot but then I like snuck two of them back in like by the time we went I like sent the final thing out and I I guess they either were just not ready to fight with me or they just missed it but I got two of them in that they had originally taken out. I was like, oh, hell no, these are staying with me. Now, have you been doing book signings or what? How are you promoting this book? Because, you know, there's so many, you know, Audible and this and that. And yeah. this. Are you promoting it a lot or are, have you done a video, uh, audio version yet? We ha- I've not done an audio version, which is funny because I was going to talk to Joe after this. But uh, I have not done an audio version. And a lot of people I know are like, I need an audio version. Like, I have a friend. Uh, Aaron Moorhead, he's the wide receiver coach for the Eagles, and he's one of my good friends. And he listens to the podcast because he listens to it when he's like puts his headphones on when he's doing stuff at work or you know in on in the gym at work or just like you know when he has time to or drop back and forth. So he's like, I always listen to the podcast. And I have a few friends who are like, you need to have the book. Like I'm not going to read the book. Like I'm telling you, they like they don't read. But they're like, I would 100% listen to the audio. So I have a lot of people, and I know probably I would be the same thing. Like, I love an audio book. I listen to them, you know, all the time. So I think that's, like, something I want to get into. But promoting it, I mean, I'm using social media. I, It's funny because now there's – that I'm starting to kind of grow this business. One of the publishing companies that I sent it to who I know never read it has kind of reached out and they're like, hey, are you thinking of doing another book? Like, what's going on with this book? Like, send us your numbers. So I'm like, this is just, you know, a few days ago. So I know I could re-release it by a big publishing company, but it was just me. Like, I was just doing, you know, going on Facebook, social media, and being like, hey, I have a book, you know, come get it. What was the one for Barnes & Noble where you were trying to get into a store? Yeah, what you, was had that? To, you had to sell, like, enough to get, like, actually, like, nationally in Barnes & Noble. It's like a lot of copies, and I was close to that number. So I think I did get it, uh, but I, haven't, I, I was supposed to check back with them. I haven't yet. But I think I did get that number, but now I'm hoping that it's like going to be available nationwide, that like the book will be part of Barnes & Noble, which is good because I self-published it. So I did have an editor, but I did it on my own, and it was because I – honestly, I didn't feel like waiting Right. Like, that's, I, and, you know, and that's so important because you're right. You know, you wait, wait, and you're, well, and we're at the time and age now where you can just do it. You can yeah. go on Amazon, you can get it done. You're on Amazon. Yeah. You can get it on Kindle and it's as easy as that. I just didn't feel like some guy just like sending it to the, all these places and like, please, please, please. I was like, well, I can do this myself and the people I know will get it and maybe, maybe just maybe it will get out there into the national and you know, every every step I take is one one more into the process of hopefully getting it where people are reading it. And I only wrote it. I wrote it like a year ago. So it's really not a huge, you know, lull in time. So I'm happy with it. What's your future? Are you getting into speaking? Are you going to keep pushing? I mean, are you keep pushing overseas famous? I and mean, what do you see the trajectory of your now that you have a new career? Yeah. And you know, in the next five years, what are you aiming for? What I want to see is Overseas Famous to be, you know, well-known within the overseas community. I want us to be able to help as many people as possible. I want us to be able to not have those guys and girls go through the same experience that I went through. And also, uh, I want to, you know, get back into that. And you, we talked about this earlier. Like, you have that sense of fame. And when you fall out of it, you know, you want to kind of get back on top. And, you know, I'm so competitive that I want it to be the best. And I want to be the best. 
So I want I want to do that. And what we're the whole entire thing that my team is is doing is we're preparing stuff to do TED talks and things like that. We're we're getting out there and showing what we're doing to the whole world. And uh, really being, you know, speaking engagements, things like that. But I just, my goal right now in five years, I want Overseas Famous to be something that if you are part of the overseas community, even the NBA community, people know what it is. People know that we're here to help you and people will know to contact us if they need us. That's cool, man. I'm glad I'm glad you came by. I'm glad I reached out to you. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, my Instagram, Overseas Famous or Knockout2515. Those are my Instagrams. Uh, Facebook, you just type in Overseas Famous. Uh, Twitter, we're Overseas Famous. Um, anything, if you just type in, we're the only Overseas Famous thing out there. So if you type that into Google, all our stuff will pop up. But yeah, uh, Instagram is like really, oh, TikTok. That's a new one. That's an interesting thing for me because I'm 42 years old. And I have people being like, you have to make TikToks. I'm like, I'm 42. And they're like, no, you have to. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I just I just made TikToks for the hell of it. Uh, and I, was, I did a thing about, because I'm, I'm my, my honeymoon, I was, we were in Croatia, and I'm part Croatian. Oh, nice. And they won. And I just said, they. I made some stupid thing, because I had a Croatia tourist hat I bought, just to look like a tourist, <laughs> with shades. I sort of looked like a Hunter S. Thompson type. Yep. And I got like 850 views. And That's I was like, great. wow. I go, yeah. But they're so stupid. I'm like, I'm, I'm 59. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on TikTok. I'm like, what a dick, you know, <laughs> but uh, so, okay. So people go, go just Google overseas famous, go buy the book overseas famous by Kevin Owens. Go buy it. Okay. You'll, you'll like it. You'll enjoy it. You'll see what it's like to be a, an athlete. Cause there's a lot of stuff you do. People don't know. You know, people don't know what goes into it. So people check that out. Go to uh, the com or look up on Amazon music, Spotify, or uh, iHeartRadio. Look up the coop tank. There's some great episodes, you know, Tony Luke, Dave Raymond, uh, Rich Redmond. We got some great, great guests. Uh, go to my other website, coopertalk.net. There's over 935 episodes. Uh, everyone from Stephen Van Zandt to Ed Asner to, um, I just posted uh, Kenny Wayne Shepard, the great guitarist. So go check that out. Uh, also, if you need someone to do an interview for you, come into the studio, come into Sweet Recording. We will set up an interview. I will interview you. I've done over a thousand of these and you will, uh, you'll like it. You'll be happy. You can put it on your website. And if you have a podcast or host and you need some interviewing tips i've been called a great interviewer because i listen to people i can give you to them i have a few clients that are very happy and i want to thank joe ganjemi you got it he's a great producer you got to talk to him hello at sweet recording suit.com i'm steve cooper have a great day check out almost fame overseas famous that's an almost famous overseas famous and also almost famous it's a great movie so you read overseas famous then you watch almost famous that'd be good shit anyway i'm steve cooper i'll talk to you all next week <laughs> <laughs>